Blog Talk Radio. afternoon, early evening, whatever you want to call it, and welcome into Taking You to School. I'm your host, Joe Perella of SweetSports.com. If you haven't noticed, we're in a new time slot now. We used to come on every Sunday at 3. We're on at 5 now, so now i got to determine what I'm going to call this time. Let's call it uh, Early Twilight. And, of course, with the change comes new theme music. I think it's uh, kind of bumped me up a little bit more. We're uh, a little more energetic. Uh, joining me, as always, is my colleague from Sweet Sports, our editor-in-chief, uh, Mr. Jeremy Connellan. Jeremy, how you doing this fine uh, early twilight? I'm doing good. I'm in a nice air-conditioned room. Uh, got ESPN on the background and living the dream. Yes, aren't we both? Aren't we both? Uh, well, obviously, you know, we're we're not going to have a lot of real basketball to talk about uh, for quite some time. But the off season is in full swing. We just had the NBA draft. Of one of the more, you know, for a, a draft that was being hailed as one of the worst talent-wise in a long time, it it sure had a lot of excitement. Uh, I think everybody could say that, and uh, that's kind of where I want to I want to start off. And Jeremy, I, we watched the draft together. I, I have to imagine it was one of your favorites. Where does it rank, uh, just from pure, uh, I guess, element of surprise? Where does it rank with the drafts you watched? Um, I would put it if not at the top, then very close to the top, just in terms of, you know, you know, all the years past, it seems like the number one pick has been a foregone conclusion months in advance, um, or even like the order of the top three picks or five picks or whatever. It seems like, you know, the point that we've gotten at in terms of um, breaking the news um, and, and, you know, reporters working sources um you know, if you look at last year's draft, like none of the top five picks were that surprising. Um, You know, everybody knew Davis was going to go one, you know, kid Gilchrist might've surprised a few people at two, but Charlotte really liked him. Like everybody knew, um, you know, who Washington and Cleveland liked. And, you know, so it wasn't terms like like Harrison Barnes flipping to seven last year was, you know, maybe that's a bit of a surprise, but in terms of, um, just every single pick being kind of a shocker. Like, obviously, the number one pick, nobody saw that coming. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't think of one person uh, that had Bennett going as number one in their mock draft. Um, yeah, so, I mean, with the, the second and the third picks, um, Porter going third and Oladipo going second, those were sort of, um, you know, those had been rumored before the draft. Um, and, yeah. the and they actually with, made sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they did. They made they made perfect sense. And then the thing with uh, with Zeller going fourth, it was one of those things that there had been rumors of him going fourth, but all those rumors were based on a scenario where Noel was first off the board. So there, there was nothing that was saying they're going to take Cody Zeller over Noel. It's just they're going to take Zeller at four when he's the maybe the best player available at that spot. I was really surprised that they took him. 
over Noel, and I was very surprised that they that Phoenix took Len over Noel also. Um, so I mean, it just just to you know pick to pick to pick to pick seemed to be um, at the top of the draft seemed to be you know coming from out of left field. So in terms of uh, just the you know it, it was almost funny like you're you're laughing at how unexpected it is. Um, so just in terms of excitement following from pick to pick, it was you know the most fun I've had watching the draft in a long time. Yeah, and I think when you look back on it, the only pick we really thought we knew that turned out to be right was probably Otto Porter to Washington at three. Because yeah. at two, you know, Oladipo had been rumored to go there, but there was thought that Macklemore might go at two. You know, it was kind of an argument over those two, uh, which, you know, shooting guard you want to take. But, wow, I mean, Anthony Bennett going number one, I I still can't even believe that happened. To take an undersized four with – asthma and questions about his athleticism over uh, a guy that's supposed to be able to, you know, alter shots and things like that, like Noel. Uh, first thing it told me was, it, man, our team's concerned about him coming back from this knee injury. Uh, in the age of Adrian Peterson coming off an ace zone rushing for 2,000 yards, that kind of surprises me. So that tells me maybe there's something here we don't know. And the fact that Alex Len again went ahead of Noel is, as well, like it's kind of weird to say, uh, just shows they're really digging his uh, his ceiling a little bit more because he seems like the guy with the higher ceiling offensively. Uh, what did this kind of say about Noel to you? Is it just people concerned about the knee, or or what is it? Well, I mean, there's there's two things that sort of throw me for a loop on that. It's that first of all, you know, if if teams are worried about his knee, that might make some sense. But the Phoenix pick was the one that sort of screwed me around on that because Len has the history of stress fractures yeah. in his foot. Plus, Phoenix has, like, a, a really great training staff that, you know, they revived Steve Nash's career. Um, like, Jermaine O'Neal, who hasn't been healthy since, you know, 1947, all of a sudden was a productive player for them this year and played over a 1,000 minutes. Um, yeah. So you would think that if there's any team that's going to take a chance on – Noel, because of his knee, it would be Phoenix, but they went with Len. Um, so that, that confused me a little bit. Um, I mean, I would assume that there's some, um, you know, some red flag about his knee that wasn't made very public. If it was, I didn't see it. Um, so, you know, in, in the sense that it seems like an ACL injury is something that you just get over and you get back to where you were, especially if you're you're this young. Um, it's not yeah. really like, you know, a, a stress fracture in your foot can become a chronic problem or, you know, like a back issue becomes a chronic problem. Um, uh, like an ACL injury just isn't like that. It's, you know, you're out for, you know, this extended block of time and then you're just back and you're basically back to normal. Um, so for someone to drop five spots in the draft from where a lot of people were expecting him based on a knee injury that's only going to affect him this season – and in the long run, that might even be better for some teams because they want to be bad this year, too, for next year's draft. Um, I mean, that, that was definitely surprising. Um, you know, obviously, I don't have the inside information about his, his knee, and if it turns out it's just completely screwed up, then, you know, these teams probably made the right decision. But based on what, like, the public knows, it seems like Noel was the safest number one pick because he seems to have the highest ceiling overall of any player. Um, and the knee injury would prevent him from making your team substantially better this year, 
which means you're rolling over a number, uh, I mean, a top, you know, four or five pick for, you know, Andrew Wiggins or Jabari Parker or whoever else is going to come out next year. Yeah, and the team that did end up taking Noel, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, man, did they have uh, – well, they didn't end up picking him. They ended up trading for him, right? They traded uh, – what was it, Drew Holiday. And what was the draft situation with that one? They Either way, they stockpiled picks, end up with Nerlens Noel. Then they take Michael Carter-Williams, another high-ceiling guy, the six foot six point guard out of Syracuse, uh, and they amass some draft picks. And you got to think, if Noel doesn't play next year, if – Michael Carter-Williams is uh, getting introduced to the NBA and taking his lumps, and they've just lost Drew Holiday, their all-star, their all-star, you know. They could be in uh, in position to get that number one pick or at least be in the top five and and get another kind of guy that, that really could help them rebuild. So they, they kind of chose to blow it up a little bit, but at the same time, uh, they've certainly given themselves uh, a high potential, a high potential ceiling for the maybe four or five years down the road, don't you think? Yeah, I mean – you know, after the Bynum decision didn't really work out, um, yeah. you know, you sort of got the sense that they were going to try to blow things up. Um, you know, at the very least, not bring back Bynum and try to bottom out next year. Um, but I, I did not expect them to trade Holiday, but they got so much value for him that it almost became a no-brainer. Like, he's, he's a good point guard, um, you know, borderline top 10 point guard. Uh, but they got, you know, Noel, who's, you know, might be the, the best player in this draft, and they get another lottery pick next year that's only top five protected. Um, so, you know, if you can get two lottery picks out of a fringe all-star, that's really, really good value. Um, and, you know, it, you know, for a team that's rebuilding, it, it doesn't totally make sense to trade your 22-year-old point guard. You think that they would want to build around him. Um, but just the amount of value that they got out of him was, was great. Um and then they obviously replaced him, you know, 30 seconds later when they took Carter Williams. Um, and I wrote about this on Friday. If you look at it solely from Philadelphia's perspective, they reset the clock on their the, – the rookie contract clock on their point guard. So they're saving $30 million over the next four years because they have Carter Williams on a rookie contract as opposed to Holiday, who has a $40 million extension that kicks in next year. So they're saving $30 million – to downgrade from those two, from that spot, but they're picking up two lottery picks in the process. Um, and I, you know, for a team that is trying to rebuild, that's about as good a value as you can get for, you know, a, a, a decent but not spectacular point guard. Yeah, so certainly a, a pretty uh, eventful draft day for uh, Sam Hankey, the new general manager there, and another new general manager, Rob Hennigan, over with Orlando. He's entering his second season. He got Oladipo with the second pick. Really, really like the pick, and maybe that's because I'm a Purdue fan and I had to watch him uh, destroy us a couple times over the last few years. But uh, I think that kid, I, in my opinion, in five years, will be the best player out of this draft. But obviously, no one's paying me for that opinion, so what is that worth? Either way, uh, I think you could look at it and say both of those teams had pretty good draft days. Uh, in your mind, what were some of the best moves on draft day, and really who had the best draft? Um, I mean – I would definitely say Philadelphia was a was a big winner just because of the tr- the value they got out of their decisions. Um, other than them, I think Washington got a really good value um, just in terms of fulfilling uh, you know filling a need for a small forward on their team. Um, you know, if you're going to 
go back a little bit, you would have, uh, you know, Atlanta got some good picks uh, with Schroeder and uh, the Brazilian guy that I I cannot pronounce his name. Bebe? Um, we'll just call him Bebe. Yeah. <laughs> Bebe. The new Nene, I suppose. Um, so I, I think uh, they're, I mean, they're, Atlanta seems to be rebuilding also. So they got two, um, two guys that probably won't contribute right away, but they'll still be um, – they're they're high ceiling guys. I, I would I, I guess yeah. you could say. Uh, and one pick that I really really liked at the at the end of the first round was uh, the Clippers picking up Reggie Bullock. Um, they mm-hmm. they needed shooting on the wing. Uh, that had been a problem for them when they didn't have uh, Jamal Crawford in the game. Like Barnes wasn't really making shots all season. Um, Karan Butler is is old and it's tough to play him a lot of minutes now. Um, so that they they picked up some youth, some athleticism. He's a really good rebounder, Bullock is, and, and obviously the shooting. Uh, that, that that filled a really good need for the Clippers, so I really like that pick also. Yeah, and uh, another team I thought had a pretty nice draft, at least in the first round, I cannot even claim to know enough about their two second-round picks, was uh, Oklahoma City. Really like, I thought they got pretty good values with uh, Steven Adams there at the 12th spot. Again, a guy that went to Pitt, and, you know, he, I don't know if he was necessarily in the best position to come out this year, but I think he recognized that this year was a – this draft is going to be a lot weaker. He's got a ton, I mean, a ton of upside. There was, you know, that gets coaches fired, but he really does have a ton of upside. Uh, and then Andre Roberson, really, really good rebounder for his position. He's a pretty big, small forward. I think he's about six, seven, six, eight. Really hits the glass, defends well. I, You know, uh, they're a team that knows what they're doing in the draft. They're, they're kind of like the Spurs. I feel like at their spots, they seem to always maximize value. So really, really like the Thunders picks. Uh Moving on to teams that didn't do so well, uh, and there were some head-scratching moves across the board. It started with the number one pick, and, and then a lot of just things went out of whack. I thought the fourth pick, we mentioned it earlier, Charlotte uh, taking the Bobcats. They might soon be, again, the Hornets. Taking, uh, which Zeller are we on now? We're on Cody Zeller, right? Not Tyler. Tyler's already yep. Okay, yeah. So we're on Cody Zeller now. They're the best Zeller, so give them that. They got the best Zeller. But uh, they take him number four, and like we mentioned, ahead of Noel, ahead of Len. So they basically thought he was the best big in this draft. And, you know, he had a heck of a combine. I don't, I don't know if you uh, pay for pay uh, or put much stock into his combine numbers, but he had a, uh, he showed he was a really great athlete for a seven footer, but you'd be hard pressed for a lot to find anybody that thought he was the best, you know, center power forward in this draft. Uh, obviously their fans didn't like it too much. There's a good YouTube clip uh, making its rounds uh, on the internet of all the fans booing the selection at number four. Uh, other than Charlotte's kind of questionable decision, because that was their only pick, uh, who do you think had a, had a pretty rough draft day? Um, I mean, they would obviously be um, the forefront of the losers, I would say. And, and New Orleans, too. You know, if, if Philly won the trade, then New Orleans lost it. Yeah. Um, but outside of those two teams, it, like, it seemed like there weren't – it's tough to kill any picks because there weren't any real no-brainer decisions just because of how weak the draft was. Um, yeah. You know, Cleveland kind of took a gamble with Bennett, um, but even even though he wasn't being mocked as the number one pick in terms of people that are actually trying to predict the, the spots yeah. where people get drafted, there, he was number one on a lot of people's, like, scouting reports just in terms of being the best player in the draft, even though people weren't really talking about him as the number one pick. Um, yeah. So in that sense, you know, 
maybe it turns out they make the right decision on that. Um, the only question for them is how he fits in because they already have Tristan Thompson, a power forward, and he doesn't seem like he's really going to translate a small forward. Um, so, you know, outside of those three teams, though, like I said, you know, it's all just rolling the dice in terms of, you know, you know, after pick five, it's not like there was any no-brainer decision that someone missed. Yeah. Um, so, like, like you know, you know, if we wanted to go back to teams that made good decisions, like uh, Utah picking up Trey Burke, they needed a point guard, um, and he's, you know, the best point guard available. They got him at number nine. Um, they had to trade up to get him, but um, that ultimately was a, was probably a good move for them. Um, you know, you know, and then in the, in the second round, it's all just, you know, can we get an NBA player out of this? And yeah, uh, you know, there there were teams that I thought got good value in the second round. I think Denver picking up Eric Green was good. I think he's actually going to be a, a serviceable player. Um, but you know, you know, outside of maybe Cleveland, that that remains to be seen. I would say Charlotte made a uh, a mistake taking Zeller over Noel, and then New Orleans for um, giving up too much to get. Through holiday, like those are the only real three decisions that you can that you can shake your head at. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And you know, there were a lot of there are a lot of teams that are you know we just don't know how this thing's going to pan out because they took guys with a lot of potential, but but some question marks and some concerns. I look at uh, maybe a team like the Dallas Mavericks that uh, took Shane Larkin, who was viewed by many to be the second or third best point guard in this draft. He had an insane combine, ran a blazing, you know, blazing times in all the drills, had a 40-something inch vertical leap, but the guy's, you know, pretty undersized. But, you know, he's got the potential to be a, a, a unique player, if nothing else. And then they take Ricky Lito in the second round, the uh, player from Providence who, well, it's weird to say he's a player from Providence because he never actually played for Providence. He was academically ineligible this past year. So he hasn't played since high school. He basically just sat on the bench. But from everything you you know you see on the kid and read about the kid, he's you know an athletic six six guy that can slash and he's apparently got a pretty nice jump shot. So the Mavericks, I feel like you know taking these two kind of we don't know how they're going to translate at all quantities, but both have the chance uh, to contribute. I, I think that kind of embodied this draft where you're just you know there are like you said there's no sure thing, so you're just hoping you can uh you know you take you throw the darts and you hope you're the smartest guy in the room somehow when uh when the dust settles. Uh, We'll move on uh, from the draft a little bit. Well, actually, no. Let's let, let's talk about the draft. I want to stay in the top ten, and, and you look at all, all the different guys picked. Which guy selected in the top ten do you think fits in uh, with his new organization the best and is primed to not only contribute immediately but not have his growth as a player be totally destroyed by having to play uh, and do too much? Um, I think there are two pretty clear answers here. The first one would be Porter, who we already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's it's been rumored, you know, ever since the lottery that they were targeting him at number three because they need a small forward. Um, it seems like he's really going to fit in with what they do. Um, he's a good defensive player. He can sort of he scores in a variety of ways, but he's not terrific at any at any one uh, thing offensively. But um, you know, next to Wall and Beal, who paired. Or, they're going to take care of most of the creating. He can just roam off the ball and dive to the rim and crash the offensive boards. And I think that's a really good situation for him. Uh, and the second one would be Trey Burke, who I talked about. Um, you know, Utah needed a point guard. Um, he was the best point guard in the draft. 
I, like, I really like Utah's core going forward. They have, uh, they have Burke, they have Alec Burks, they have Hayward, and then they have the, the bigs and Cantor and uh, Favors. Um, but there was actually a really funny story that came out, I think it was on Friday, uh, that Mo Williams wants to come back to Utah, but only if he's guaranteed the starting role over <laughs> Trey Burke. And I thought, oh, okay, you just had one of the worst seasons of your career, and you're going to demand yeah. a starting job in free agency. That's, that's funny. Uh, he's, yeah, he's a character. Well, uh, I, I won't even get into that, but uh, it would be interesting to see. Uh, with Trey Burke, you know, he's a pretty – pretty polished guy you know there's a lot of questions about his size but i'd like to see him insert the starting lineup and see what he can do and and see him grow like you mentioned with that pretty good uh pretty good core they've got going on out there in utah um moving away from the draft we do have to talk a couple you know we're boston guys now we got to take a couple big boston stories it was a it was a rough week for boston celtics fans uh they lost doc rivers kevin garnett and paul pierce all, all in the span of a couple days uh the first thing i want to talk about is doc rivers basically sending out the signals that he didn't want to be back in Boston. Uh, he ends up leaving the Celtics, signing with the Clippers for the same deal. Well, what would have been the remainder of his deal in Boston? Uh, and the Celtics get a first-round pick as compensation. Uh, first of all, did the Celtics really have any other choice? Are you going to have this guy coach the team that clearly doesn't even want to be there? And how does Doc Rivers fit in with uh, a pretty potentially explosive team out in L.A.? Uh, it's an interesting situation because obviously Rivers is trying to, um, you know, make it look like he was a team player and would have been willing to go back. But, you know, there are some conflicting reports on whether that's actually true or not. Obviously, like he's saying the right things in the media. Um, yeah. It's just nobody's really sure what the, what the truth behind everything is. Um, so, you know, if, you operate from the assumption that he was not, he did not want to come back. Then I think the Celtics did pretty well in terms of um, just sort of cleaning house and, you know, getting a pick in return. Um, You know, from the Celtics perspective, um, the story that I'm hearing is that the ownership wanted him to fulfill his contract and, you know, he's a very good coach, so you would want him to have around. Um, you know, they're obviously going through this rebuilding phase, and maybe it's not perfect. It's not a perfect situation for him, but, um, you, I mean, you want a good coach, so he's a good coach. Yep. It would be to just walk away from that. Um, but from his perspective, it's like he, he did a, the rebuilding thing in 2007, and then they pulled off the Garnett trade, and they won the title, and he was obviously very happy with that. Um, but it seems like he didn't want to go through that whole process again, which is that's a defensible, you know, stance to have. Like, you know, I'm I'm a veteran coach that has a lot of success. I don't want, you know, to deal with the crack team for the next two years. Um, so, you know, Brooklyn obviously wanted to talk to him, but the Celtics denied it. Uh, Denver, I believe, uh, wanted to speak to him. Um but I think the Celtics never relayed that to Rivers. Uh, and then the Clippers came up, and that seemed like a good fit for everybody. Um, you know, Chris Paul, for the majority of his career, has had pretty poor coaches. I mean, Byron Scott is decent, um, but he seems to get fired after three years basically everywhere he goes. Uh, <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> one, season with, 
Yeah, like, and then he spent one season with Monty Williams in New Orleans, um, but that was the year that he was coming off of the knee injury, and he wasn't at 100%. Uh, and then the last two years, he's had Vinny Del Negro, who is basically just a, a monkey in a suit. And Chris Paul was effectively coaching the team himself in terms of, uh, like, an X's and O's standpoint. Like, Del, Del Negro, is, I think I've said this on the show before, um, he's a bit underrated in terms of his player development. Like, he's definitely he's made Bledsoe a better player. He's made DeAndre Jordan a better player. Um, but in terms of actually coaching a basketball game and making strategic decisions, he's sort of a train wreck. Um, so now that they have someone, uh, like Rivers has done great work with young players also. Like he, he brought Rondo along. He brought Avery yeah. Bradley along. Uh, Tony Allen as well before he left. Um, Kendra Perkins is, is another example. So he, like he has the track record of, of taking young players and making them better, plus he has the track record of actually being able to construct an offense that is suitable for everybody on the team. Um, so, so all in all, I think the Clippers were a really big winner for this. Like the, the other team, uh, the other coaches that they were looking at, uh, like Byron Scott and uh, Lyle Hollins and a few other guys, Doc Rivers is certainly worth a first-round pick more than them. Like that, yeah. that was a good, that's a good value for Doc Rivers. Like it's the 25th pick or around there. You know, this year they get. It seems like they got a good player out of it, but in previous years that pick is like Miles Plumley or, you know, someone that you know barely plays. So yeah, um, to not give up that much to get a really good coach, um, I think is is good for the Clippers, and to just get anything for Doc Rivers, who didn't seem like he wanted to come back for the Celtics, is good. Uh, so that seemed like a win-win for them. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Celtics, it's. Yeah, like we said earlier, what else could you really do at this point? You weren't going to bring back a coach that didn't want to be there for what looks like it's going to be at least a semi, semi-long semi rebuilding process. Obviously, we don't know about uh, Rondo's knee, what you know, what their plans are for him. But they've got Avery Bradley, they've got Jeff Green, they got Jared Sullinger. They seem to like those guys. They add Kelly Olynyk, And I thought their second-round pick, Colton Iverson, I think that guy is actually a pretty good player. I think, you know, I, I think he'll stick on an NBA roster. I don't know if he'll be an active contributor. But uh, I think they got at least an, an NBA caliber player in him. So we'll see going forward. Then, of course, they make the trade that sends uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry to Brooklyn for what it essentially comes down to, I believe, three first-round picks. Uh, I think the Celtics won big in that one because I just don't see – well, I mean, especially for their position. They're about to rebuild. There's no sense in keeping around these veterans. Uh but just value-wise, did they get enough in return for these three veterans? Um, I, I think they did um, because it's very rare that you see a team give out unprotected number one picks, yeah. and that's what Brooklyn did in this trade. They gave out three unprotected number ones. Um, the one I, – I, I, I haven't seen official words on what years those picks are in, my understanding yeah. is that 2014, 2016, 2018. Um, mm. So next year, like it's, it's not very likely that it's going to be a high pick, um, just because it seems like the Nets are going to be pretty good next year. But in 2016, yeah. presumably Garnett and Pierce will be gone, and then in 2018, I'm I'm trying to think of their payroll. I don't think they have anyone on their 2018 payroll right now. Yeah. They so maybe have Darren Williams. 
I think if they, if they have anybody, it's Darren Williams, and that's it. Um, so if he, you know, and by that time he's going to be like 33, I think, um, maybe even older. So, you know, it, it doesn't look like a ton of value right now because the Nets are good, and it's like, oh, it's three picks in the 20s, and that's kind of all you get. But the 2018 pick, if if the Nets for whatever reason sort of fall off a cliff towards the end of the decade, that could be a, a top lottery pick, you know, just uh, by the you know the way that teams can fall apart quickly. Um, in terms of the the salary ramifications of it, they cut a lot of salary um, yeah. for some reasons on an expiring contract. They have to take on Gerald Wallace's contract, but there's a stretch provision, which is kind of complicated in that. Um, he has three years and $30 million left on his contract. But the, if they waive him before uh, September 1st, that three mm-hmm. years gets uh, stretched out to seven years. And instead of paying $10 million, $10 million, $10 million they're paying $4 million a year over the next seven yes. years. Um, so long-term, it's, you know, in the long run, they're not actually saving money. But for over the next three years, they're going to save $15 million or $16 million. Um, so that's uh, that's something that I would expect them to do just because – well, actually, if they're really trying to tank, they could probably start Gerald Wallace <laughs> at point guard, and that could be their team. Um, but I, don't, I wouldn't expect that to happen. Um, you know, the the question for them is going forward what they're going to do with Rondo. I mean, there, there are rumors that um, – actually, there was, there was something yesterday that Dallas called to ask about Rondo, and Boston's response is, we want Dirk. Um, so I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. Uh, Probably but, not. You know, on one hand, like, he's injured, so, you know, it's tough to gauge what the trade market is for him. Um, but if they're selling basically the whole team, then he might be the next guy out. Um, although my prediction would be that they keep him through the year and, for the most part, sit on him. Like, don't – you know, he's, yeah. he's obviously got the AC injury, but even after it seems like he's ready to go – I would expect them to keep holding them out just because uh, they're really looking to tank for for top pick. Um, and then if it turns out that they want to keep him, you know, like, it, you know, hypothetically speaking, this is looking pretty far down the road, but, you know, they end up with a top pick and then they end up taking Marcus Smart or another one of the guards in the draft as opposed to Wiggins or one of the big men. Um, if they end up with a guard, maybe they flip Rondo at that point. Um, or if they end up with Wiggins or Julius Randle or Jabari Parker or one of the forwards, um, then they might keep Rondo. I think that would that would be a uh, that that's something that I could see them doing. Oh, well, you've got you got me looking way too far down the road. Uh, we're <laughs> we're out of time for today. Uh, wow, yeah, lots to look forward to. It's gonna be an interesting couple of years with the Celtics. And obviously, once we come back next week and the weeks after, we'll have a ton of other off-season storylines, uh, not the least of which, including Mr. Dwight Howard and what he should demand on the open market, what he's going to demand on the open market, and where he may end up, and just what that means for the team that might be getting him. Uh, thank you for joining us on Taking You to School. For Jimmy Conlon, I'm Joe Perello. Have a great rest of your weekend, everybody. <laughs>